It's uh, awesome to be here with you this morning. My name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here. And I'd just love to begin by praying, just asking God to lead this time together. So would you please pray with me for a moment? Father, I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might be pleasing in your sight. Thank you so much for all the people here who are precious to you in this building and online. And I ask that you would speak to them. I ask that you'd bring good news to our hearts. And I ask that you'd disciple us, that you'd train us to think like you do and to live like you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's a guy that's going to come up on the screen in a moment, and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have heard of who he is, but he made headlines a few years ago um, by claiming that he should be able to change his date of birth legally. His name is Emil Russellband. Uh, he's a Dutchman. And a few years back, when he was 69 years old, he uh, said, you know, he'd spoken to his GP and he said he was healthy and, you know, he had the body of someone who was in their 40s. He said he felt like someone who was in their 40s. And so why shouldn't he be able to change his birth certificate to reflect that? Uh, this is what it says in a BBC article. This is a quote from him. He said, if I'm 49, then I can buy a new house, drive a different car. I can take up more work, he said. When I'm on Tinder and it says I'm 69, I don't get an answer. Tinder's like a dating app, for those who don't know. When I'm 49, with the face I have, I will be in a luxurious position. It's nice to know that Mr. Rattleband has a healthy sense of self-esteem. But it's interesting what the court said in response to him. This is what they said, and I quote, Mr. Rattleband is at liberty to feel 20 years younger than his real age and to act accordingly the judges said, but changing his legal documents would be undesirable legally and societally. So notice what they said there. They didn't actually say, no, you can't change your birth certificate because that's just wrong. Factually, you are 69. They said, it just wouldn't be helpful. It'd be too complex legally, but you do you, Mr. Rattlebund. If that's how you feel, you do you, you live like that. We're just not going to change things legally for you. You see, in the West, in places like the Netherlands, where Mr. Radovan's from, and places like the US and the UK and Australia, we live in what I like to call you-do-you cultures. You-do-you cultures. In our culture, we live by mantras like you-do-you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, look inside, don't live a lie. Now, the reason that we're talking about this this morning is because we're looking at this topic, you do you. We're asking, is this, is you do you a helpful or a harmful idea this morning? Not just the phrase itself, but everything that it encapsulates about how we think and how we believe we should live in the West. And I'll define that a bit more in just a moment. But we're surrounded by this you do you message. And I believe it's really important for us to think about that and to think biblically and think, is this helpful for us or is this harmful for us? We see this message everywhere. You've probably heard of the movie Frozen. Uh, this movie made over $1 billion for Disney when it came out. And there's a song in the movie which went viral. It's called Let It Go. I won't sing it for you because you don't want it to be stuck in your head for the rest of the service. And you probably don't want to hear that anyway. But um, 
Let it go. It's it's this song that went viral, and uh, it actually went on to like made most of the top hundred lists for so many different Western countries. It actually made number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. It um, came up at number 16 in the Aria charts in in Australia. And in this song, Queen Elsa uh, sings about how she discovers freedom by unshackling herself from the expectations of others. And and as she's singing this, you get this sense that it just it feels so good to not think about what everyone else wants you to be and to just let that go and to do you, to be yourself. And I think it's insightful that it went so viral in our culture. I don't think it's just because the singing's so amazing, but there's a message there that resonates in our culture. You see, you do you is just assumed by Australians. But should we just assume this is the right way to live? Assumptions are powerful because they lie beneath the surface. They go on unquestioned but powerfully shaping how we live. And so what we want to do this morning is actually just bring this assumption up from underneath the cultural surface. And we want to ask, is you do you helpful or harmful? Is it helping us or is it harming us? Why should we ask this? Well, I want to give you two reasons. First of all, You do you, this kind of idea, this kind of mindset is actually so new in human history. Brian Rosner, principal of Ridley Bible College in Melbourne and author of the book, How to Find Yourself, says this. He says, you do you, is it is is close to unprecedented, a recent innovation in the sweep of human history. What is remarkable is the strength of commitment to this idea across so many quarters of society. And it's unquestioned supremacy given that it is such an untested innovation. This is why we should test the claims of you-do-you culture. When pharmaceuticals, if they create a new drug, it needs to be trialed for a while to make sure it's helpful and not harmful. And I think we should do that with this idea today. It's a new idea in the history of humanity, relatively speaking. And we're going to ask, is this helpful or is this harmful for us? But if you're, if you're a follower of Christian here this morning, you have even more reason to test this idea. Because you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, which means you're a learner under Jesus. And in Australia, you live in a you-do-you culture. You hear its songs, you see its movies, you see its messages everywhere. It, it is discipling you, it's influencing you in a way. And so the question is, is you-do-you culture helping you discover the life that Jesus has for you? Or is it stealing from the life that Jesus has for you? It says in John 10 verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We want to make sure our beliefs are helping us discover fullness of life in Jesus. Now before we begin, let me just acknowledge that when we say you do you, we can mean many different things by that. And sometimes that can be used positively to affirm good things or to encourage authenticity. Like if someone talks about how they like reading, perhaps, and maybe someone pays them out and says, oh, that's so nerdy. You could say, well, you do you. If you like reading, that's great. Be authentic, be yourself, you do you. Like that's a positive way to use that slogan, right? The Bible has a lot to say against hypocrisy and being fake. But when I speak about you do you today, I'm talking about this idea that the culture feeds us that you doing you is where you'll find ultimate happiness, peace, and contentment. That you need to discover yourself 
and define yourself, and when you live your truth, you will be truly happy. This is what I mean by you do you culture. is you defining yourself, you discovering yourself, and you living that self out, and that is the secret to success and happiness and joy in life. Okay, so we're going to explore how this thinking affects us in three areas. We're going to look at how it affects us in the area of meaning, how does it affect our sense of meaning and purpose, how does it affect us in the area of connection, our connection with others, our relationships, and how does it affect us in the area of happiness? Does it really make us happy? Okay, first, let's look at how you do you culture affects meaning. So the main message of you do you culture in this area is you create your own meaning. You define you. While researching for this message, I found uh, an article from the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute. And it's this organization that's all about finding scientific answers, research-based answers for well-being. And they define the full life as one that involves finding meaning or purpose. And I think that's intuitively true for so many of us. Don't we want our lives to have meaning? Don't we want our lives to matter? Well, this institute found that that's actually one of the secrets to joy and happiness in life is having a life of meaning. But you do you culture tells us to create our own meaning, our own truth, our own purpose. And that's a really fragile place to be. I mean, think about it. We change all the time, and our desires change all the time. To, def- to self-define our meaning and purpose puts us in a really unstable position. Like, when I was 10 years old, I just wanted to play Nintendo 64 all the time. So if I was going to define my purpose then, it would be like as much Nintendo 64 as I can play. When I was 15, it might have been finding a girlfriend. That was probably my purpose at that time. Now, later on in my 20s, going on into my 30s, it might be filling my home with kids. And when I'm 50, it'll be emptying my home of kids. You know, like it's, your purpose is changing all the time. We're always changing. So how can we really self-define what our purpose is if our desires are always changing? But even if we said, okay, well, we're just going to, I'm going to think about it today and I'm going to lock it in today, what my purpose is. Even if we try to do that, we don't actually know ourselves that well. Don't believe the lie that you know yourself better than anyone else. You don't. Actually, in the West, our self-obsession seems to have put us more out of touch with the truth of who we are. For example, Matt Fuller, a British pastor and author, says in his book, Be True to Yourself, he says this, In the West, there exists the well-documented, better-than-average syndrome. This is a legit thing. 98% of the UK population think that they have an above-average IQ. 95% of the population think that they have above average looks. 98% think that they're in the top 50% of the nicest people. At the risk of pricking the bubble, I must tell you that the stats suggest half of us are less intelligent, uglier, and nastier than we realize. Ouch. Although most of us will think that half doesn't include us. And Australia might say, well, yeah, it's just the UK. It's probably not us in Australia, but I'm just kidding. We love our... um, English and Pommy brothers and sisters here this morning. How can we define our purpose and what will make us happy if we don't even know ourselves accurately? We can't find meaning and purpose by looking within. It's, it's a fragile way to find meaning in life. But do you know what the incredible message of the Bible is? It is that you are not self-made. 
You were created by someone greater, for something greater than yourself. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In Psalm 139, it says, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You see, these scriptures, they teach us that you are not an accident. You don't have to be crushed by the weight of having to make your life count. Your life already counts because you were created by God. You've already been given value. You don't need to create that. And in Psalm 139, it talks about how when God creates a human being, it's like he's knitting them together in their mother's womb. It's this picture of of purposefulness and, and real care and attention to detail when he designs us. You know, if you want to know the purpose of something, if you want to know how it works best, you take it to the manufacturer. If you have an iPhone, you really want to know how it works, you take it to Apple. If you want to know what your purpose and meaning in life is, then you need to take those questions to God, your creator. You do you culture cannot give you a solid sense of purpose and meaning, but God can. So how does you do you culture affect meaning, that first area we've just looked at? Well, you do you culture ultimately forfeits meaning. It's not helpful but harmful in this area. But what about connection with others? How does you do you culture affect that? We're going to look at that next. Well, you do you culture, one of their messages in this area is be yourself, not what others want you to be. Don't look to others to tell you what you can or cannot do. Find yourself, express yourself. Now, it's not very hard to see how that can hurt our connection with others because relationships need the give and the take. If we're just thinking about ourselves and we're trying to get rid of what everyone else thinks and whether our views are offensive to them or whatever, then ultimately it's going to hurt our connections with others. And on top of that, if everyone believes in ultimate individual freedom, then no one actually has freedom because everyone else's freedom is a potential threat to your own. It can make others into enemies rather than possible friends. People don't become a possible friend to connect with or someone to move toward. They become someone to compete with or an enemy. So they become that person who got the last toilet roll at the supermarket during the pandemic. Or they become that person who got the block of land that you wanted. Or they become that person that took the parking spot you were praying for. Maybe that's just me who prays for parking spots. Maybe Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But the Bible instead teaches us that we need to reject self-centeredness for other-centeredness. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. He's actually quoting from the Corinthian church there. This is something that they said. I have the right to do anything. And then Paul counters and he says, but not everything is beneficial. You might be free in Christ to do so much, but not everything is beneficial. The Corinthian church, you see, was very divided. There were believers suing each other. There were these factions growing in the church about who their favorite church leader was. There was all sorts of division there. And another one of their dividing issues had to do with eating food that had been offered to idols. For example, it might have been offered to Zeus or one of the other gods. 
And there were two groups. One group was saying, well, Zeus isn't a real god anyway, so it doesn't really matter if it's offered to Zeus. I can eat that food. It doesn't really matter. The other group was saying, oh, I don't really feel comfortable about this. This has been offered to Zeus, and I believe Jesus is the one and only God, and so I don't really feel like I can eat this meal. And there were divisions occurring around opinions like that. And Paul says, you might have the right to do anything. You might be free to make one of those choices, but that's not really the question to ask. The question you should be asking, is it beneficial for your brothers and sisters Christ in Christ? It's a very other-centered way of thinking, isn't it? The Corinthians were putting themselves first and it was damaging their connection with each other. You do you culture tells us to be true to ourselves, to express ourselves no matter what others think or how it affects them. And this mindset will corrode community in general and loving committed relationships in particular. And this also damages our happiness. Here's what Jonathan Haidt, an American psychologist, professor, he's also an atheist, this is what he writes. Having loving, committed relationships strengthens the immune system, extends life more than does quitting smoking, speeds recovery from surgery, and reduces the risks of depression and anxiety disorders. We need to interact and intertwine with others. We need the give and the take. We need to belong. An ideology of extreme personal freedom can be dangerous because it encourages people to leave homes, jobs, cities, and marriages in search of personal professional fulfillment thereby breaking the relationships that were probably their best hope for such fulfillment. You see, the context for so much of our happiness is connection with others. That's what the research shows. You can't enjoy the fulfillment of relationships and community if you aren't willing to give up some personal freedoms. And this is why you-do-you culture ultimately hurts connection. But the way of Jesus deepens connection. We think about what is beneficial for others. So we've looked at how you do you affects our sense of meaning and how it affects our connection with others. But what about our overall happiness? Well, we've mentioned that a little bit, but let's just drill into that a little bit further. So you do you says the way to find happiness is to find yourself, define yourself and express the real you. You'll be happy like when you do that. You'll be like Queen Elsa from the movie Frozen when she sang, Let It Go. You'll feel free and unchained and so happy when you can just be yourself. But the movie itself actually goes on to reveal the unintended consequences of her actions. See, I'm sure we've all watched this movie before. As Elsa puts herself first, her relationship with her sister Anna becomes strained. Elsa's isolation and self-focus actually came at the cost of the love and connection she shared with her sister. So you do you will not bring you the happiness you're looking for. Research shows that our obsession with ourselves in the West is making us less happy. Matt Fuller says this again in his book. It's a great book to read if you want to dive into this topic a bit more deeply. He says this, in, he's quoting from another book, so it's a little bit confusing, but he says, in her book, iGen, Psychologist Jean Twenge analyzes vast amounts of data and concludes that this generation is suffering the worst mental health crisis in decades. One in eight people under the age of 19 have a mental health disorder. One in four of 17 to 19-year-old girls suffer with a mental disorder, of whom half said they had self-harmed or attempted suicide. The UK government is now introducing compulsory lessons for four-year-old children on how to handle depression. 
Now, there are complicated reasons for this phenomenon, but Twenge argues that a greater focus on the self is one key cause. You do you is not helping us to find happiness. It's stealing our joy. But your creator, your designer knows you best. He knows how you are designed. And this is why David, King David, sung out in Psalm 16, verse 11, You, God, make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, joy and fulfillment is found in knowing and following God. But what does following God look like? Well, it looks like dying to yourself. It looks like dying to yourself. Now, in our culture, that sounds like a very harmful idea. That sounds like terrible advice. But look at what Matthew 16 says. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, you do you culture says, be true to yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. You do you culture says, you'll find life when you follow your heart and your desires. Jesus says, you'll only find life when you give up your life for me. You to you says, do what makes you happy. Earn money, get the house, get the car, make memories, travel. But Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see, you to you culture assumes that there is nothing greater than you. But there is someone greater. Your soul belongs to him. He designed it and created it. And yet we have behaved like we are the masters of our own souls. Like we are the captains of our own destinies. And this has brought us under God's judgment. Imagine you're a convicted criminal and you've been sentenced to death in 30 days time. It doesn't matter how much money you make in those 30 days. It doesn't matter how much food you eat or romance you have. You're still going to lose your life. And the difficult truth we have to swallow is that without Jesus, we're all facing a death sentence. We're all under God's just judgment for rejecting and ignoring him. And we can't do anything to change it. We can't be good enough. We can't be moral enough. But here's the good news. Just because God is our judge doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He loves us enough to tell us the truth about how flawed we actually are. And he loves us enough to give us a way out of the judgment we deserve. You see, this is why God sent his one and only beloved son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus was our place taker. That's what he was doing when he went to the cross to die. He was dying in the place of sinners and sufferers. He was dying in our place that we can give him all of our flaws, all of our sins, all of our brokenness, all of our weakness. And so we can receive from him all of his love, 
all of his righteousness, all of his blamelessness before the Father. Why should you lay down your rights? Why should you lay down your life to follow Jesus? Well, because Jesus has already done it for you. Jesus wasn't carrying his cross. He was carrying your cross. He was carrying my cross when he went to die on that hill. He suffered unjustly for the sins of others so that we wouldn't get what we deserve. He's given up his life for you. And it's because of Jesus that we can have confidence to listen to God, to let him tell us how we should live and how that will lead to our flourishing and our life in this world. That his way is better than you doing your way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to find life by embracing you do you culture. It will forfeit you meaning. It will forfeit you connection. And it will forfeit you happiness. You're only going to find life by taking up your cross and following Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, what's stopping you from following him? He's already taken the first step. He's already given up his life at the cross to save sinners. You don't need to be good enough. You don't need to be moral enough. You don't need to clean up your life and be perfect before you can come to Jesus. You just give yourself as you are to Jesus and ask him to be your Lord and he will accept you with open arms and you can discover fullness of life in him for the rest of your days and into eternity. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, I think the question that you need to ask and that I need to ask is what can we do to resist the influence of you do you culture? We want to be disciples of Jesus, but we watch the movies of our culture, we listen to the music of our culture, we see the messages of our culture, it's everywhere. So it's influencing us, it's discipling us in a way. And so we want to say, how do we intentionally make sure that we're placing ourselves under Jesus and being discipled by Christ? Well, let me suggest two things. Do the new you and deny the old you. Do the new you and deny the old you. You see, if you're a believer, there are two yous. The Bible talks about like there's these two natures inside of you that are actually at war with each other. There's the old you. That's the you controlled by sin, which the Bible sometimes calls our flesh. The flesh or the old you is self-focused, fragile, scared of God, threatened by others. And then there's the new you. That's the you controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the you that God is shaping into the image of Christ. The new you is others-focused, whole, drawn to God, compassionate toward others. As followers of Jesus, it's not you do you, it's do the new you and deny the old you. So how can you do the new you? Well, God is renewing you and healing your human image that was originally broken by sin. And through Jesus, he has given you an incredible identity, a glorious identity, better than what you can self-define or give to yourself. So let me encourage you to discover who you are in Christ and to do the new you. Do you know who you are? Do you know what God says about you in his word, in the scriptures? It's pretty incredible. The Bible teaches that you are his daughter. You are his son. 
that you are loved by the Father, that you are righteous, that you are not guilty anymore, that you are a new creation, that you are an heir of the things to come, that you are a child of God's kingdom, that you are rich and you are clean and you are a dwelling place for God, his presence. If you don't know who you are in Christ, can I recommend two books to you? The first is Identity Theft by Melissa Kruger, and the second is The Christian's True Identity. We want to dig into what the scriptures say about who we are in Christ, but the Bible isn't a topical book. You can't flick to the page where it says identity and then look up what the verses say about that. It's a story about Jesus. So these books can help you dig into the Bible, help you find out what it says about things like identity. And if you want to find those books online, there's a Facebook post on the Oasis Church Facebook page. You can just jump on there anytime today. You'll have the links there. And there's actually a free copy of Identity Theft as an e-book at the moment. There's a link in the Facebook post. If you want to get the e-book, you can get that for free. Otherwise, you can buy them physically online. So jump on Facebook if you want to find those books. Get to know who you are in Christ and do the new you. The second thing you can do to make sure you're not being conformed to you to you culture is to deny the old you. Now, you could do this in a million different ways. I don't know, if you're like me, you sin every day. So there's always opportunities to deny the old you by just by trying to follow Jesus faithfully, by trying not to be selfish or trying to put others before yourself. But if you're looking for a spiritual practice, something that you can implement and build into your life that might help in this area, I believe fasting could be a really good practice to implement because fasting is about denying the flesh. It's about denying those hunger pains when you feel like you'd like to eat. You might deny yourself lunch. And instead of having lunch, instead of preparing lunch and eating lunch and cleaning up after lunch, you deny that same, you, you use that same time to read scripture, to pray, to seek God, to say, ultimately, what I really need for life and my well-being is not physical food, but it's you, God. It's your word. That's a practice you might want to build into your life that could help you deny the old you and to do the new you. Well, let me finish by sharing a story with you that I heard recently from a pastor in Perth. I heard him share about a young lady who became a Christian in his church. And this, is a, this was a young lady who's grown up in you do you culture. She's been reared in this culture. And she had everything going for her, culturally speaking. Uh, she, she was, you know, accepted. Uh, she was smart. Uh, she was beautiful. Um, she had the right opinions. But then she found Jesus and gave her life to Jesus. And, and he said, I, I always love asking people when they come to Jesus, what's the experience like? How do, how do you feel? You've lived in the culture for so long. And how does it feel for you to know and follow Jesus now? And this is what she said. I feel free. I used to worry so much about what others thought about me. I used to worry so much about saying the right things all the time. I can finally be myself. Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So is you to you culture harmful or helpful? In the end, it's harmful because it won't help you find meaning. It will hurt your connection with others and it won't bring you the happiness that you long for. Do the new you 
Deny the old you for Jesus' sake. And you will live a life of meaning and purpose and connection. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart. Lord, help us to understand the culture and the times that we live in. Help us to be discerning, Lord. Help us to disciple ourselves to you, to come under your teaching and to follow you. Because we trust you, Jesus. You gave up your life for us. How can we not trust your heart and your wisdom. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, help us to live as the new people you've designed us to be, to deny the old people that we were. Lord, help us to walk with you. Bring us into that abundant life that you promise. Give us a solid sense of meaning, deepen our connections with each other and others outside our community. And may we just experience joy in this world as we live for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.